Welcome to No Ordinary, Ordinary women. women, the podcast where two ordinary broads chat about extraordinary women, the good, the bad, and, and the bad shit crazy. I got it, Lynn. I got it. You got it. You did it. Finally. I'm so proud. It's only been a year and a half. <laughs> we should just let you do the intro by yourself. Yeah. You, you should just do the whole podcast by yourself. Okay. See you later. you're so good at it. I'll just sit here and drink. I'm not leaving. I'm just going to drink. Oh, you're just going to drink? Yeah. Okay. Paul's off my cocktail. Paul's off my cock. <laughs> Paul's tail. I was like, what? <laughs> Paul's off your cock. Paul's off my cock. So what are we drinking tonight, Lynn? We are drinking a... I already forgot the name of it, Rose. Of course. Of course I did. It's called a La Grande Fizz. Ooh. Isn't that fancy schmancy? It? it is vodka, uh, St. Germain, which is elderflower liqueur, lime juice, and a splash. And then you shake it, strain it, and then shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, 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 it. And you can serve it up or on the, on the rocks, on the ice, on the rocks. We, we're drinking <laughs> on the rocks. And you top it with club soda and a lime twist. Ooh. Or a lime slice. Fancy. Very yummy. It's super, it is really good. Very and it good. goes down easy. This would be nice, like, in in like a big, um, I don't have a Stanley cup, but a big, I have a fake one, fake Stanley cup by the pool, like fill it up. With oh my gosh. Tin. I don't think I texted you this today. Uh-uh. So I went to, Chris and I had an appointment with Charlotte's therapist at UVA. Mm-hmm. I get in my car to leave, and it's like a tiny parking lot. There's, like, room for, like, six cars. And they're building a huge building right next door. Mm -hmm. So I am sitting in my car. I'm calling her doctor because I need to make an appointment with her doctor. And I look over. Like, somebody pulls in next to me, and he's sitting in his car for a while. So I look over, and he is pouring a Coors light into a a cup, like some kind of a mug or something. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God. And and we, like, made eye contact, and I looked away because I was like, oh, my God, what is he doing? And he was a construction worker going to work. Uh, I know. I was like, but he looks like I thought about reporting him. I don't know to who, like, going in, I guess, and telling people. I stayed there because I wanted to make sure he wasn't going into the building to, like, work with children. Right. But he, like, took out his hat and his vest and stuff, and then I was like, what do I do? Because he probably has to have that one beer to get rid of the shakes. Maybe. Well, what I was thinking was like, is he drinking one or is he like coming like back to his car every? Yeah, right. But how do they not smell it on him? I'm well, that's sorry. what I was wondering yeah. too. That's what that was my my. They probably just think it's last night's. But it's still. I mean, if you're working construction, that's so dangerous. I know. So. Or maybe it makes him normal. I don't know. Maybe he's such an alcoholic that it makes him normal. Well, that's what I'm saying. He but had, I thought about shakes really bad going in and, like, telling someone. But then he had, like, looked like we had made eye contact. And I was a little scared because he was, didn't look like a friendly guy. <laughs> he obviously yeah, well, wasn't making good choices. he's going to be friendly in five minutes when he drinks that beer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or he's going to be less friendly. He's so I didn't like do anything. I just laughed. But I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's... And then I was like, or maybe that's common in that, like, maybe a lot of people do What time is it? What time was it? It was lunchtime. Oh, it's a lunchtime beer, Rose. It was like 1230. Yeah. I mean, could have been. Who knows? I thought it was fucking weird. He probably probably is a raging alcoholic and has to drink to, like, curb the shakes and stuff, which is really sad. I mean, could be. I hope it's that and he's not, like, like constantly drinking. Like Like going to his car car every 45 minutes and getting another beer. Yeah. Because when I looked over, I first saw the, I was like, what is he doing? And then I saw the coolers and I was like, that's weird. Why? Like, I thought he was taking, because he had like a koozie looking thing. Uh-huh. And I thought he was just taking it out of his koozie to like put something else in it. Uh-huh. But then I saw him pouring it in. So it must have been some kind of cup or something. Um, Like a mug, like a coffee mug or something that looked like a koozie. Like it, like it looked like it, it had some kind of insulated thing around it. Did he bring it with him when he got out of the car? Yeah. I was going to say, maybe he just poured it so he it was ready as soon as he got in the car, but that would be weird. No, that would be really weird. I mean, not that it wasn't weird that he was drinking <laughs> on the job. But... That's true. Ay, yeah. It was fucking weird. I was like, let me get out of here before you. Yeah, really. That's scary. It's very scary. I know. And then I'm like, oh, my God, maybe I should watch the news to see if anybody, if that building falls down because he's doing something important. And and I feel like (laughs) these are the kind of things that trouble me because I feel like we owe it to report stuff like that. 
we owe it to society yeah. to report stuff like that. Because what if he does do something fucked up? Right, yeah. And, you know, it. You know, he's like putting wires inside of a wall and then the wall's closed up and... Yeah, and then it catches on fire. Yeah. Right. right, yeah. Something, you know. But then you're like, how does your boss not know that you smell like beer? Well, that that was the thing. I was telling my coworkers, people have to be able to smell it. You can... Beer is very strong. No, and I... But I feel like I've definitely, like, been around people before that um, smell like beer the next morning and you know like smell like beer yeah, the right. next morning and you're like oh well when and chris, it's even worse man yeah. it smells disgusting when chris goes out and drinks a lot of beer um in in the middle of the night i can smell it Ugh. like i can smell it coming off of it that makes you know you, that turns you on doesn't it? yeah and you're like, like jump, i jump his bones take those immediately clothes off so i can have my way with your drunken ass <laughs> <laughs> no, that turns me off. Big it, is so <laughs> it is so gross. It's, it, if you're drinking two, you don't smell it. But it's even fine. if he drinks like one and tries to like comes near me, I can smell it. Yeah. You know, so especially beer, right? Because it's very strong. So it, I mean, and it can smell like, like water, he smelled. He drank like ten of them. Yeah, I mean they say that like real alcoholics. Not that he, this guy isn't a real alcoholic. Use vodka because it doesn't smell. But I still feel like I know somebody. Well, I used to know somebody that drank. Like constantly, yeah. And they drank vodka, and I could smell it on them all the time. Oh, could you? Yeah, you just smell. It's like the alcohol comes out. Yeah, it's right. Not, yeah, it comes out of their pores. The it's just the alcohol. Yeah, it's the, you know, it's like. Mm-hmm. I know. I know that smell you're talking about. It's so gross. I smelled it on myself a few and times. Then, <laughs> and then people that smell like that and smell like cigarettes. Ooh! Oh God. Oh my God, it's so gross. Although I do love a cigarette. When you go out. I, I mean, I haven't had a cigarette in like you twenty years. Have a cigarette with me ever. But when I used to go out when I lived in Texas before I got pregnant with Joseph, I would smoke a cigarette because my friend smoked. When you're drunk and you have a cigarette, it's like the best fucking oh, thing in the I world. Know. It's I. So I would go out. I used to smoke, and then I quit smoking, and then everything, and then I'd get back together with this group of friends. Yeah. And we all smoked together back in the day. And I get back together with them, and they would all smoke again. And so I would sometimes smoke with them. Yeah. And I would be smoking a pack a day within two days of hanging out with them. Oh, really? Like I would quit, but then as soon as I smoked one, that was it. It yeah. opened the floodgates, and I would have, you know. And I'm like, God damn it. So I finally just stopped. I, like, wouldn't let myself. And now it does. it's not hard, obviously. I'm, right. like, grossed out. I'm like, oh, you guys go out there and smoke. Have fun. I'm not Yeah, I have no desire. And um, I have a lot of... Um, this is totally a lot. But I have a lot of trauma from my ex-husband always walking out on me to smoke, whether it be in the middle of a discussion, whether it be at a restaurant, and leaving me alone constantly. Yeah. Like, it was horrible. It's it's a big trauma for me. Like, I hated going into a restaurant, we're eating, have a nice dinner, and then we go to pay, and he, like, throws his credit card on the table and is like, I'll be outside. And I'm like, it's so tacky. Can you just wait yeah, five right. more fucking yeah. minutes? And then you have to go out and he, smil- he stinks. Yeah, and, and it's oh, like, no, it so ruined gross. my whole meal. So, what a dick. Um, I do want to tell you something very funny, Rose. Okay. So, um, that was that was interesting. It wasn't funny, but it was interesting. But I do have a funny story. <laughs> the funny story of the week. I'm starting this today. Um, so, I have a friend who is very gassy. This isn't Rose, but she is gassy. <laughs> um, I have a, I have a friend, <laughs> I have a friend who's very gassy, and she is not afraid to let him rip around like yeah. friends and family and stuff like that. Well, this friend recently started dating somebody mm, probably two, well, before Christmas, before Christmas. Okay. So a couple months ago, Thanksgiving time, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, and she's super into this guy. He's very nice, super sweet, like down to earth kind of guy. And she's really excited about this new relationship. So I was at her house helping her with some stuff this weekend. And we were standing at her front door and I was installing like a ring doorbell for her. And uh, because I love doing stuff like that. And she was standing in the door. He was in the living room and I was standing out in the hallway drilling a hole in the, you know, in the door jam. Yeah. The ring doorbell because she lives like an apartment complex. Okay, Okay. And so all of a sudden she's like, wait. And like she sticks her butt out and like, you know, like strains. And she's like. And I was like, oh, my Lord. Right? I was like, good grief. <laughs> and she, like, kind of giggles. And then she turns ten shades of red and goes, oh, my God. I forgot he was here. <laughs> so the poor guy is sitting on the couch. And he, like, 
<laughs> was like, was that the dog? <laughs> Pretending it wasn't her. <laughs> you no, know, she, yeah, he was like, was that the Pretend, dog? Yeah, trying to help. <laughs> I was like, I was dying. I was like, you are an idiot. And she was like, oh my God, I totally forgot he was here. And oh I'm like, my God. Had she ever farted in front of him? No. <laughs> and then I walked up to him and I was like, May the Lord bless you and keep you, my friend, because <laughs> it'll never stop now. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the worst part about it is that, she like, was, she opened the, the floodgates. The floodgate. She was so embarrassed, and I could not stop laughing. And she couldn't <laughs> stop laughing either. And he was just like, wow. <laughs> it was very funny. It was the greatest story. Like, I was just oh like, oh, my God, that's oh my so God. And funny. And I thought, of, I got home, and I had my, like, nightly little, like, gummy so I can sleep, which I have to tell you, if you guys have trouble sleeping... Find some gummies. Are you because, still eating that one gummy? Yeah, I I'll finish it tonight. Oh really? I, I eat the tiniest. I yeah. eat the tiniest little bit, the tiniest little bit. Um. And so it's just enough, and it gets me like. It's kind of like the way I feel is like when you have like one glass of wine on an empty stomach, kind of like a little buzz. Mm-hmm. That's I, a good feeling. It's a good feeling, like that. You know, yeah. just relaxed. And I go to bed and I sleep like nobody's business. It is the best sleep. I sleep so hard. And um, so I took... How far in advance do you eat it? I eat it at like between 8 and 8.30 and I go to bed between 9 and 10. Okay. And I texted my friend and I was like, I just ate my gummies. Like I, they, they had started kicking in and I could not stop laughing about it. Like I was started thinking about her farting and I could not stop laughing. I was like sitting on my couch, hysterical, crying all by myself. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. Oh, I get such giggles when I have, um, I tell you, I'm, I wish, I wish I'd have known about these five years ago. That's so funny. I so, cannot believe how well I, I sleep. I used to smoke a ton when I was a teenager, like oh, yeah, a ton. When I was younger, me too. And I stopped smoking because, well, one, because I moved to Texas and we didn't have access to it, but also because I started getting paranoid because uh, I was smoking so much that I, like, it was messing yeah. with me. So I didn't smoke for like a good 20 years, 18 years, I guess, because it was right before Joseph. So I was like, you know, I'll try out just a little bit of a gummy. And it made me so paranoid. Really? Yeah. Like, I did, I did not like the way I felt. I felt like, like, I, we were watching alone, and I felt like... <laughs> you were there? Like, no, I didn't feel like I was there, but I felt like the, the sound was coming from, like, behind me. <laughs> oh, because I think it heightens your, it heightens your sensory. It was like, I felt Sen- so fucking senses. weird. And sensory, then, and sensory, then because sensory. I have anxiety, and and I'm already, like... I was already a little anxious about doing it uh-huh. that it just made it worse and it like oh, spiraled no. and then I was like oh my god I don't like this feeling no I I mean there's an, I mean I could take muscle relaxers or sleep aids which yeah. I have done in the past I'm like I'll, I'll take I have a prescription for muscle relaxers and I'll take them if I hurt myself at the gym or something yeah. just to try and heal it quicker but I only take them at bedtime because I can't take them Oh, right. Yeah, yeah I've done them those before. The they make you, I couldn't even take them because they made me tired in the next morning. Yeah, I mean, I was like, but if I take them but at they night, feel really good. I'm fine. Yeah. And um, so I would take that if I was hurting. And then if I wasn't, I would take like um, the stuff, the active ingredient, like Tylenol PM. Yeah. I would take that as a sleep aid. And I'm like, I don't want to take all this shit. So I feel like at least it's like a more natural. natural. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I sleep and that's why I don't go to the gym in the morning anymore because yeah. I'm sleeping so soundly that I can barely wake up in time to work. And I'm like, I'm not getting myself up early to go to the gym. Not when I'm finally sleeping. Like, yeah. I'm hitting my eight-hour sleep goal every single day. Oh, that's good. And I, I don't – and then on the weekends, if it weren't for Penelope, girl, I'd be sleeping until noon. Why are you still such a bitch? I don't know why I'm such a bitch. <laughs> we all know why I'm such a bitch because I like – yeah, never mind. Why? Anyway, so that was our funny story of the week. That was pretty funny. If one. you guys have a funny story that you want us to share, we're more than happy to. So yeah, we'd love to do that. So you can slide into our DMs <laughs> and tell us because we love funny, silly stories. And they can be inappropriate, funny, silly, appropriate, Not inappropriate. It's a family podcast. What do you mean it's a family podcast? But it, but the fuck it is. <laughs> it's not a family <laughs> It is not a family. If your kids are listening with you, I'm calling social services. <laughs> yeah, don't let your kids run. No, I've learned that the hard way. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, today, Rose... You know what she told my son? Oh, no. What did I tell him? Um, oh, probably the same thing I tell everyone. Something said. about coming out of your mom's vagina. <laughs> he was complaining about something, and I said, she pushed you out of her vagina. Are you really going to complain? <laughs> she pushed you out of her vagina. And he was like, oh! He's so shy. Yeah, really. he doesn't like Lynn very much. I, I do time. that, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just joking. He's never said anything about you. <gasps> I'm going to cry. No. He actually, I think he actually likes you. I did that to um, another friend's son. <laughs> I think he actually likes you. <laughs> and he loved, he, like, started using the word vagina, like, in every other sentence. And his mom was like, I fucking hate you. Because now he's like, so, mom, since I came out of your vagina, because he was, like, like, like early high school when I did it, he, like, talks about her. He's like, if my son says the word vagina one more time, I'm going to punch you. Oh, my God. That's so funny. But they need, they need, my dad always says, don't forget where you came from. That's true. And that is. That's true. You slid right out of your mom's vagina. Goop and all. Yep. Yep. She might have even pooped I do on often you. tell him that I used to wipe his butt for him, so. She might have even pooped on you. Joseph did poop on me, actually. No, you probably oh, pooped on him. Oh, I didn't poop on him, but he pooped. That. He you pooped as that. he was coming out. I'm sure you did. No, I didn't. You probably did. No. Nobody says I anything. asked because I was worried about it. You asked. I did because I was worried that I was going to poop because I, I was care. 21. With the girls, I didn't care. I'm like, if I poop, I poop. I, I didn't even, I didn't ask. I didn't care. I'm like. I was 21 when I had Joseph and I was very worried that I was going to poop because somebody told me about that. And they told me I didn't. So just we're going to go right? with that. Everybody poops. You have to poop. It, it pushes anything out that's in your. No. Yes, it does. No, but you know what? I had Taco Bell the night before, so I already pooped everything. Out. Well, there is that. <laughs> that's what that's what started labor for Joseph. <laughs> that gives it a whole new meaning to a double crunch wrap. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so Rose, today I'm going to tell you. This was a suggestion of my son's. Uh, my son suggested this. I don't have more than one son. <laughs> um, but um, this is based on, he suggested it based on watching um, The Gilded Age, which, oh my God, I love that show. Oh my gosh, I've been watching it, but I haven't paid attention, so I have no idea what's going on. So you I need to start, start all over. over. I do it's need to so start It's so good. I definitely started over twice. But my phone is so interesting that I can't stop. <laughs> all right, here we go. <laughs> so today I'm going to tell you about Emily Warren Roebling. Do you know who she is? Do you know? Do you? Do you? Do you? Was do she ya? on the Gilded Age? She was on the Gilded Age. Was she? No, then I don't. <laughs> she was born, I'm going to make you wait to hear what she did, to a socially prominent family in Cold Spring, New York. Her family lineage can be traced back to the Mayflower. Oh, wow. How cool is that? Well, I think anybody's could. She was the second youngest of 12 children. And I could not, I heard in a podcast that like only two of the kids survived to adulthood, but I could not find that anywhere. Of 12? Of 12. So I was like, what, years, like, what year was that? She was born in, um, oh my God, did I leave that out? I totally did. <sighs> How long did you um, work on this story? 1865, so it was like 18, I can't believe I left that out. I don't know, girl, 1865, <laughs> 55, 1840 something, Okay. Like 55, something like that. That's anyway, not important. So. No, 65, 55, like 45, something like that. Anyway, sorry, I totally, I don't, I can't believe I didn't have her date in here. Anyway. So I, I couldn't find the – I kept looking to see if there was – like Googling it. I couldn't find anything else. But anyway, her mother was Phoebe Warren. Her father, Sylvanius Warren, was a politician who served in the New York State Assembly and had been a town supervisor. Sylvanius? Sylvanius. Wow. That's a weird name. I've never heard that before. Slyvanius. S-L-Y-V-A-N-U-S. Slyvanius. Slyvanius. Right? That's crazy. Um, he was German. Emily was a pioneering example of independence. Her upper, upper middle class upbringing allowed her to attend a prestigious all-girls school, the Georgetown Visitation Convent. Remember last time I did a story, I talked about the convent um, that the woman I did the story at Belva was. Oh Belva? yeah, right, right. A convent is a girls' school, yeah, and not yeah. like a religious like a, thing, con- like a nuns, right. Despite advice in early years that women don't need a higher education, Rose, they don't need it. She they didn't just need believe to be a it, did she? And a wife. Yeah. 
make your fucking bread, clean your fucking laundry, and stay home. She was like, I think the fuck not. So um, she studied mathematics Women and science. Women like her are the reason that I have to go to work and be a mother and wife. <laughs> <laughs> So, and it was definitely not normal for women to study mathematics and science. Yeah, for sure. It was like they studied that's crazy writing and yeah, yeah, type. Well, not typing, but yeah, yeah. In 1864, she traveled to see her brother, Governor Warren. Uh, Governor. Governor. Was he the governor? Governor. No, that was his name. His. How do you spell that? Governor J J. G-O-U-V-E-R-N-E-U-R. Governor What Warren. the fuck? At an army camp where he was serving as commander of the 5th Army Corps. During her visit, she met a young officer, Colonel Washington Roebling. Oh, I know him. Who immediately fell in love with her. She said, I'm going to snatch him right up. She he threw was part her of fishing the, reel um, out and she reeled it in and said, help. Gotcha. I think he was part of the Louisiana Purchase. No, he was not. <laughs> Shut up. After 11 months of constant correspondence, she and Roebling were married in 1865. The Roeblings started their marriage life apart as Washington was still an active member of the military. So she just kind of sat and waited. In 1867, the Roeblings went on a belated honeymoon to Europe. Their trip was not a typical honeymoon because John Roebling, her new father-in-law, asked the young couple to conduct research on the, on a new bridge project he was working on. Oh. They visited construction sites and met with engineers to learn about late, the latest bridge building techniques. For example, they learned about saisons. That sounds like a fun honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was just thinking, we're going to go on our honeymoon. We're not going to lay on a beach. We're going to talk to people about building bridges. <laughs> <laughs> what are saisons? Okay. Saisons are pressurized watertight chambers that were used to build underwater foundations for bridges. You know, I've always wondered how they build, like, the underwater tunnels. For, that we drive through, like at Virginia Beach. Yeah, so they start. They drop. My dad. I asked this because I grew up in Virginia Beach, and so I I asked my dad this. And in New York, and so we go through tunnels a lot. Yeah. And so what they do is they like drop. They put the footing all on the ground, and everything, and then they drop the tube in, and they pump the water out. Okay, that's that's actually what I thought. But so how do they get the footing down? Like how do so they get it to stay these there? Saisons. Okay. So I'm going to explain a little bit more okay. about those in a minute. So, um. That was my shoes. Sure. That was not me. Emily's, <laughs> if anybody's going to fart today, it's Rose. <laughs> um, so Emily's new father-in-law, John Augustus Roebling, was a world-famous architect who specializes in, specialized in suspension bridges. I mean, this is a long time ago. John obtained his American citizenship, citizenship in September, on September 30th, 1867. He worked on survey projects for the construction of canals and railroads. It was in this capacity that he became aware of the inadequacy of the hemp hawsers, H-A-W-S-E-R-S, which is a thick rope Mm -hmm. made of hemp, used to tow boats up the inclines on the state's canal system. So he was like, these are not efficient. These ropes are not efficient. And for they frayed and like dry rotted and stuff like that. So recalling a German engineering paper describing methods of making rope from wire, Roebling was inspired to produce a more durable alternative. He soon began experimenting with a wire rope in his Saxonburg farm in Pennsylvania with local farmers as his workers. He produced wire rope on the crude rope walk, crude rope walk. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Which is a long, straight, narrow lane or covered pathway where long strands of material are laid before being twisted into rope. So oh, this, okay. Like, yeah. He took cables and he had all these farmers helping them to twist them together. He yeah. didn't have any kind of like drill to like hook to right. it and twist it. So it was like manually being twisted. So it's like they took a bunch of wire cables and twisted them together to form like rope. Yeah. And that's what suspension bridges and stuff are built from. It's a lack of oxygen. It's so irritating. When I'm not doing my story, I yawn the whole time. I know. It's, and I can hear it. on When I yawn, I can hear it on here. And I so hate I'm like it so to... much, but it's, it's the oxygen in here. In 1841, he made his first sale of the product to the Pennsylvania State Board of Public Works. Roebling's inventive mind led him to a, propose a suspended canal aqueduct over the Allegheny River in Pittsburgh, which was approved in 1844. His first structure was also the world's first suspension suspension aqueduct. He designed and built repairs to the mm, Mono 
Galia Suspension Bridge in Pittsburgh in 1846. I'm sorry, you guys, if I mutilated that. I practice it, but I... It's ma... Monon... Monon... Galia. Monon Galia. Anyway, before 1840, between 1847 and 1850, he erected four suspension aqueducts for the Delaware and Hudson Canal in New York and Pennsylvania. In 1848, he moved his family and his growing wire rope business to Trenton, New Jersey. Try saying the word wire rope. It's (laughs) very difficult. It's very difficult. (laughs) So by 1855, John Roebling had completed an engineering marvel, a railroad suspension bridge over the Niagara River. Wow. That's kind of cool. Roebling's design of cables and and stays made it possible for the suspension bridge to bear the weight of a locomotive traffic, of locomotive traffic. In 1867, he received received his most ambitious assignment yet, to build a 1.1-mile bridge across the East River between Brooklyn and Manhattan. Nobody had ever built a suspension bridge from this length before of this length before. That's really long. Yeah. And How so, long is the underwater bridge, do you know? The under you mean the underwater tunnel? bridge. <laughs> you mean the tunnel? <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. How long is what? What tunnel? The underwater tunnel in Virginia Beach. Oh, I have no idea, girl. I hate it, so it feels like three miles, but Yeah. Um while overseas on their honeymoon, Emily gave birth to John, a son, John A. Roebling II. Mm-hmm. So they named him after the grandfather, who was born in the same town where Washington, the fa- her husband, was born in Mulhausen, Germany. Emily suffered a serious fall while in Europe while she was pregnant, which prevented her from having any more children. Oh, no. When they returned to the United States, the Roeblings settled into Brooklyn near the construction site for the bridge. After the Roeblings returned to the U.S. in 1868, Washington became the assistant engineer for the Brooklyn Bridge. While conducting surveys for the bridge project, John Roebling was standing on a dock as a ferry was approaching. So he's standing there. He sees this ferry approaching. He's like, oh, shit, I need to back up. So he starts backing up, and he was like, he felt like he was, like, in a safe place. And something happened. The ferry came in, like, there's a lot of different stories about, like, the ferry came in recklessly or the ferry came in normally. But when the ferry came in, it, like, like lifted a piece of wood and, like, crushed his foot between a piling. Oh, no. Or a piece of the, the pier or whatever, the dock that he was on. Yeah. And crushed his foot. Um, it was pinned between the ferry and, like, basically a piling. He had to, he had to have several of his toes amputated. Oh, and he was a pretty stubborn man and was determined to care for his wounds himself. He's like, I'll be fine. Leave oh, me alone. No, he's going to die. Well, it wasn't long before he de- developed tetanus infection, which resulted in his death. So the bridge project had not really even started. Oh. So he was standing on this pier, this like dock, to survey part of the bridge before they started the construction. Oh, okay. So they were the just getting came. ready to they yeah. had the per- they were getting ready to start the construction and he died. Oh no. Basically. So um Washington had been wor- working alongside his father for only a few years and was now in charge of completing the Brooklyn Bridge. The project, beca- he became the chief engineer. Oh. The most deadly work took place in the caissons, which, and I looked him up, like, basically the definition of it. It's a large, watertight chamber open at the bottom from which the water is kept out by air pressure and in which construction work may be carried out underwater. Laborers toiled inside the caisson, slowly digging down until they hit solid rock. Fires repeatedly broke out in the ca- in the caissons, in the and the air inside was foul and hard to breathe. I don't understand how fires broke out. I don't know if it was because like they were doing welding. I I have no Probably, idea. Probably, I would think so. Yeah. But, so, so I'm they, having trouble imagining what it looks like. So it was like a it was like wood on the top, and it was like lowered into the ground. They pumped the water out, and so it was basically on the bottom. And then there was air being oh, pumped in. Oh, but how do the, they get in if there's... Like, they had to go through a series of things to get in it. And That's then crazy. It was really weird. And so they were trying to hit the rock. They were digging, digging, digging in yeah. the river bottom, trying to hit... Once they hit, like, rock, rock yeah. then they could start pouring the footing. I so, wonder how they do that now. It must be some kind of machine, right? Oh, it's a machine, I'm sure. Yeah. It's probably, like, a big machine that does it. Because it's, like, so deep. Yeah, well, it's like a big machine does it. It's like a they they I've seen them bridging. It's like a, they're pounding like something into the ground yeah. from a. Oh, okay, I've seen yeah. That, like on bridges before. So Washington Roebling often 
entered the caissons in the caissons in the bottom of the East River to supervise the ongoing work. And one day in the spring of 1872, he came to the surface too quickly and was incapacitated. <gasps> So what people didn't realize at the time was that operating under compression was quite risky. So yeah. they looked into these caissons and everything in Europe, and they learned how to do them and everything. But I don't think they understood the severity. It's kind of like when you're diving and you come up too fast. Yeah, right. And, yeah. So death came most frequently from the effects of the decompression sickness, and they called that the bends. Caused by coming up to the coming up from the caissons to the surface too quickly, trapping nitrogen bubbles in the bloodstream. Oh, that's scary. Many workers were ill. Were, I'm sorry, were ill. Many workers were ill with decompression sickness, often known as caissons disease. Washington became so ill that he nearly he was nearly paralyzed. For years, he avoided bright lights and loud noises and rarely rarely left his house. So this is soon oh, after the bridge shit. started. He was like now he was the chief engineer and he was struggling. Um, on April 22nd, 1872, German laborer John Myers became the first laborer to die from the bends after suffering abdominal pain and collapsing at home after his second day on the riverbed. Eight days later, Irishman Pac Patrick McKay died after resurfacing, and within a month, Daniel Reardon, another Irishman, succumbed to the bends. So there's something funny I was re reading. So the bends was not a term until way after this, but they talk about it in all the stories. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I'm just going to. So after the death of these three um, workers in quick succession, succession, uh, Washington suspended digging for the Manhattan Tower and decided not to reach bedrock, fearing it could lead to more, a hundred more fatalities. Yeah. I mean, if that three in one month is crazy. Yeah. So the, the, the bedrock on the Brooklyn side was like two-thirds shallower than the bedrock on the Manhattan side. Okay. So at a certain point, he's like, we have to stop. And are they digging by hand? It sounds like they are. I mean, they don't have oh machinery back in the 1800s. Can you imagine? No. No. I think my job sucks sometimes, but come <laughs> on. <laughs> so um, in May of 1872... The laborers went on strike, demanding three dollars for a four-hour day in the in the caissons. But the strikes, re but the strikers returned to work when the New York Bridge Company threatened to fire them. Oh, they sad. wanted three dollars for four hours. Yeah, and like almost certain for risking death. their life, right? <laughs> you know, right. Several, several workmen were killed by falling stone during the construction of the towers, while the others died when struck by steel rope that snapped in 1878 during the cabling process. Others fell from the bridge's two granite towers. So the bridge has two, like, granite towers that are just ginormous, and then the, the tension yeah, right. cables go from there. It is said that more than 20 men died while building the Brooklyn Bridge. Well, that's less than I thought. So an interesting little tidbit of information, which is not true. Um, my dad, I was telling him about this, and he was like, oh, look up Nunzio Pontillo. I was like, okay. And he was like, he died building the, building the Brooklyn Bridge. I Googled it for 10 years. I couldn't find anything. <laughs> I was like, dad. I called him. I was like, dad. He goes, let me look it up. So he looks it up. He's like, oh, he died in Brooklyn, not building the bridge. I was like, come on. <laughs> you just sent me down this rabbit hole for 10 minutes. I was like, that'd be cool to bring up in here. But no. Yeah. No, there's no Nunzio Pontillo that died from it. So Roebling would battle the after effects of Caisson's disease and its treatment in the rest of his life. He may have had additional afflictions, side effects of treatments, or secondary drug addiction also. Ugh. By the end of 1872, Washington was no longer able to visit the bridge construction site. He was essentially an invalid, but continued to oversee the Brooklyn Bridge. You mean he was invalid? He was invalid. <laughs> the Brooklyn Bridge Project. <laughs> I was so afraid I would say invalid, actually. <laughs> it's so Al easy when you read it. <laughs> I know. Although he survived, he was further incapacitated by a series of strokes and was confined to a bed and barely able to communicate. It was tragedy that drove Emily Roebling into the forefront of engineering. Emily cared for him in their home in Trenton, New Jersey, where the Roebling family steel cable factory was and was located. And in a residence in Brooklyn Heights, from which Washington could, ob could observe the bridge work through a telescope. So he'd sit there in his bed and, like, watch the oh, bridge. That must have been, like, that must have been so hard. Oh, my God. I can't imagine. No, that, like, that's no they're your, doing that wrong. Yeah, that's your project. And <laughs> yeah. it's like. 
this is where the story gets good, Rose. So in spite of Roebling's, Washington's debilitating illness, the Roeblings, I quote that, continued to lead the project, thanks in part to at least, a part to at least Emily's persistence. So for the next 14 years, Emily's dedication to the completion of the Brooklyn Bridge was unyielding. She studied the engineering principles involved, including how to calculate caternary curves and assess how much stress a structure could withstand. She became an expert on the strength and durability of steel, iron, granite, concrete, and sandstone. Wow. The crew began to direct the crew began to go directly to Emily with their questions. Soon the subcontractors subcontractors did it well as well. After a design change, when the steel mill representatives were struggling with how to construct the new shapes specified, they came to the house to ask Washington their questions in person. He was unable to meet with them, and Emily sketched a design and specifications for them herself. So she kind of kept him hidden. She was like, oh, he's sleeping, whatever. She kept him hidden. Probably like a dignity thing. Or well, she just also, wanted too, to because over. nobody wanted to know that a woman was leading this project back then. Right? Oh, so she was, like, pretending that yeah. it was coming from him. Yeah. Kinda. Fortunately for the project, Emily's involvement from the beginning meant that, despite having no formal engineering training, she was very well-versed in the details of the bridge construction. She took over the day-to-day running of the project, communicating the day's instruction to the supervisors on site based on their discussions, based on her discussions with her husband. So she would have these little mini meetings with him and then meet with the other people and be like, okay, here, this is what we're going to do. I mean, she was So you think about back then how hard it was. Like, it's not like she could go on the Internet and be like, oh, let me, (laughs) you know, let me research this. No, she had to look at it. It was like you had to find the right book and then read, sit there and read about it. And she talked to her husband a lot, and he, like, communicated with her about it. But I'm sure he had, like, stuff that he had found. And she also was with her husband when they went to Europe and did all that research. Right, yeah. So, so I'm sure she knew, knew stuff, but yeah. it's, like, just to to learn all of that shit is rough. Yeah. She also had to deal with the politicians and even other engineer companies, which by 1882 were pressing to get her husband's contract as chief engineer on the grounds of his incapacity. Oh, what I'm wondering here is how true this all is, Rose. Like, I bet she barely even consulted him. <laughs> I'm sure she mostly went with her gut, but they have to say that she consulted with her husband on every move. But, like, yeah. how much did she? Because he was, like, so sick. Yeah. Like, she was like, okay, I'm going to make this decision. Okay, so Washington says to do this. And, and if she that. was interested in it and had been probably maybe studying it for years— you know what I mean? Well, she's And like, talking to him about it because she was interested yeah, in it. They pr- that was their honeymoon topic right. of conversation. So I imagine she did probably know a lot about it. Yeah, absolutely. So Emily tried to keep her involvement a secret during the decade she took on the duties of chief engineer for the Brooklyn Bridge. She did not want the public to know about her husband's illness and worried he would lose the contract to build the bridge. She's like, no, we're not doing this. I mean, I could imagine. I would totally back my husband in something like that. In well, you imagine the money writing on that, too. Well, the money, the notoriety, everything. Yeah. In private, she made it clear that the Roebling family would forever be associated with the Brooklyn Bridge because of her work and advocacy. Every day, she went to the site to convey her husband's instructions to the workers and to answer questions. She carried out all face-to-face interviews with contractors, kept detailed records, and represented her husband at social functions. So she would just show up to social functions and be like, oh, he's under the weather. Well, and it's, you know, back then it was like shameful to be incapacitated. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure sure she was like... It made him look like like he wasn't strong, right? Yeah, right. She eventually became so good at the job that many suspected she was the real intelligence behind the bridge. Oh, my God. Maybe she was. (laughs) Maybe she was coaching him in the beginning. I know. That's funny. (laughs) Emily worked with suppliers to negotiate prices, terms, and deliveries. She ensured the workers were paid and conditions were as safe as possible. She was the voice of the bridge when the board of trustees required a report. And she did all of this while serving as Washington's primary caregiver. I mean, she was That's completely crazy. taken and care she, of And then how old was her kid at this point? Um, he was pretty young. I mean, he was born on their honeymoon, and they started soon after they got yeah. back. So she limited his exertions whenever possible. And when avoiding people was impossible, she helped him dress and get out of bed so he could look strong and in control. Just exactly what we were saying. Or maybe he wasn't incapacitated at all and she just wanted to run the show. 
Maybe she maybe was, she was poisoning, poisoning him. him. Yeah, maybe. Because <laughs> she wanted to be the one in control. Yeah, well, she did a good job. <laughs> Her constant presence, evident evident knowledge, and authoritative... Authoritative. Thank you. Authoritative speeches to those in power meant that many assumed she was, in fact, the bridge's designer. While most people didn't realize the extent of Emily's role, there were whispers about her frequent presence in the construction site. Because you can imagine, I mean, a woman on the construction site, that's pretty weird weird back then. Um, She endeavored to keep her participation as quiet as possible because society wasn't completely comfortable with the idea of a woman playing engineering a suspension bridge over the East River that would be used by thousands of people right, every yeah. day. They're like, like oh, oh my, my God, God a woman going to fall this? apart. Yeah, right. <laughs> Has it fallen apart yet? No, it hasn't. Rumors started flying that Washington's problem was mental illness <gasps> because only an insane man would give his wife this much oh, responsibility. I mean, obviously. I mean, she squeezed out a baby. That's not a big responsibility, is it? No. <sighs> and she's taking all of this on by herself. Yeah. And not to mention caregiving for a child and her husband. The assistant engineers knew better. They believed in Emily and respected her. So the people, like, down and dirty in the job, they knew what was going on. Because they know women are smart. Yeah. But at one point near the end of the project, some trustees forced a vote to fire Washington because of his absence. (gasps) Emily had done some deft political maneuvering to convince the board to stay the course, and Washington survived in a 10 to 7 vote. Wow. She never claimed to be an engineer, let alone the bridge's engineer. Others certainly respected her as one. With E.F. Farrington, the chief wire engineer on site, referring to her publicly as the first female field engineer. I mean, they respected her. Wow. The people on the, that's awesome. I mean, that's amazing. As construction on the bridge continued, the caissons were filled with cement and huge stone towers were built on top of the, case, the caissons. These towers rose nearly 300 feet above the water of the East River. So they wanted to make it tall enough so ships could go under. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, In the day before the skyscrapers, when most buildings in New York were only two or three stories, that was simply astounding to the public. Yeah, like how do you even build that? When the towers were completed in early 1877, a narrow footbridge made of rope and wooden planks was strung between the top of the towers for the use of the bridge workers. But daring people who obtained special permits could walk across. <gasps> what the? F- <laughs> could you imagine? The walkway swayed with the wind. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. More than 250 feet above the swirling waters of the East River. Yeah. And it's 19, what, 70? Yeah. It was, or 1870? It was 1877. <laughs> you know that's not made There was well. no fucking dive team <laughs> in the New York Police Department back then. <laughs> No, and you know that bridge isn't made well. Like, it's like going, whoosh, whoosh, oh it's my just god, like shaking. that's terrifying. The walkway swayed in the wind, more than 250 feet above the swirling waters of the East River. Already said that. Early, Emily Waring Roebling laughed as she looked down at the white rooster on her lap. She was riding across the Brooklyn Bridge, the first person to ever do it. Oh wow! The rooster was a traditional symbol of victory, but she just hoped it didn't peck her or try to get out of the open air cage, <laughs> open air carriage that she had. She waved to the engineers and construction workers who had gathered on this beautiful spring day to watch the first trip across the world's longest suspension bridge. Oh, wow. And there is an assistant engineer assigned to watch the bridge to see if it would vibrate from the horses trotting oh. to see if there was any sway Ooh. in it, and there was none. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Because that's was, one carriage. Yeah, one carriage. I mean, they, like this was like a test, and this was early on. So this was one of the final tests before the bridge opened to the public. Well, shouldn't they put more carriages on it to see? Well, they, they were – this was like they were letting people go across, but she was the first person. Okay. And then they were doing – there was also train tracks going across it. So it was like train, car, like carriages, oh, everything. Scary. So the day was finally here, Rose. The Brooklyn Bridge opened on May 24th, 1883. At the time, it was the longest suspension suspension bridge in the world. The ceremony on May 24th was a huge event. Ticketed spectators climbed the stairs to line the road that now spanned the East River. Hundreds and thousands more gathered in the riverbanks. They watched the group that included President Chester Arthur and Governor Theodore Roosevelt walk from Manhattan to Brooklyn on the bridge. There was a military band a formal dedication, and several speeches. Her work on the bridge had not gone unnoticed. In a dedication speech on opening day, the philanthropist, political reformer, and rival steelmaker, 
Adam, I'm sorry, Abram S. Hewitt said, I quote, the name of the name of Emily Warren Roebling will be inseparably associated with all that is admirable in human nature and all that is wonderful in the construction of world construction world of art. So he was like a rival, like Oh, that's sweet. And he gave her this wow. like great thing. I had shocked that a man would do that. He also said the bridge was an everlasting monument to the self-sacrificing devotion of a woman and her capacity for that higher education from which she has been too long disbarred. Isn't that, that crazy? I was just, for some reason, that made me think of, um, you know, all the shit going on with Taylor Swift and the Chiefs oh, and stuff. So and all the men are like, oh, you know, oh, this is Why? Because she's just doubled the viewing of the Right. And they're like, oh, it's all the Swifties now. And whatever. Just fucking let them watch. What do you care? It's Who more cares? people getting into your sport. You should be happy. Yeah. More people, more commercials, more money. But that's it. Um, some NFL guy who's like retired and now um, a commentator it was basically said that, like, why do people care so much? They should be happy. Like all these people are getting into the NFL and, and she's like supporting her boyfriend and, yeah. and people should be happy about that. Like, why are people no, upset? And, well, the thing is, too, is that what we're doing is we're showing that we're to younger kids, men that are saying that, oh, this fucking stupid. They're showing that supporting your partner and being there and being like a support system is bad. Right. Yeah. Right? So exactly. like she's still carrying on her career, yet she's doing all these wonderful things yeah. for the NFL. Right. But instead of like recognizing her for it, he's they're bashing her for right. it. And then what if they have daughters? Their daughters are like, oh, so women shouldn't do that? Yeah. Right. And so that's me. the negative side of it. But the sweet side of it is I've read a couple of stories where like a dad will be, it's gotten my daughter into football and now we're watching it together. Aww. And that's cute. You know, it's really yeah. sweet. I like it's. People are so weird. So Emily left the celebration early to return home to host a reception. So she called him Wash, Washington. Mm -hmm. So Wash could be a part of the celebration. It had been 14 years since, since construction had begun, and Emily watched the celebratory fireworks with her husband and guests as she wondered how history would write the story. So, like, the fireworks I did see because they highlighted this on um, The Gilded Age. The oh, fireworks really? And stuff. It was very cool. Yeah. On season two, they talk about yeah. it. Yeah. So it was like really cool. The fireworks were amazing and stuff. So one answer came in the plaque on the bridge tower on the Brooklyn side, which reads, the builders of the bridge dedicated to the memory of Emily Warren Roebling, 1843 to 1903, whose faith and courage helped her stricken husband, Washington A. Roebling, C.E., 1837 to 1926, complete the construction of this bridge from the plans of his father, John A. Roebling, C.E., 1805 to 1869, who gave his life to the bridge. Back of every great work, we can find the self-sacrificing devotion of a woman. Oh, That's wow. That's right? Isn't that great? After the bridge was complete, Emily spent the next four years in Troy, New York with her son, John. He had a heart condition, which she closely monitored. So now she has a son that has a heart condition. Well, she had him the whole time, and she's taking care of him, too. When he started college at the Rensselaer Polytechnical Institute in Troy, New York, she and Washington moved with him there so she could help take care of him. So she could take care of him. Oh, because he had the condition. I was like, oh, my God, can I move in with Joseph when he leaves? (laughs) At this time, she was overseeing the new family mansion construction in Trenton. Um, Washington returned to the family business, but with a limited capacity due to his health. Emily became active in various social and philanthropic organizations. She assumed an active social life, taking on important roles in the Daughters of the American Revolution, the Huguenot Society, and other civil organizations. She again (laughs) traveled to Europe in 1896. Washington was still ill, so so she traveled by herself. In London, Queen Victoria received her at court. In St. Petersburg, she attended the coronation of Tsar Nicholas II of Russia. Wow. When Emily came back to the United States, she traveled across the country to give lectures about her experiences in Russia for the Federation of Women's Clubs. She also served as both a nurse and construction foreman in Montauk. Montauk is like the point, like like all the way at the end of Long Island. Okay. Um, Long Long Island Camp established to house soldiers returning from Spanish from the Spanish American War. 
So she was helping soldiers. And that's like, my God, this woman is amazing. And she's still taking care of her husband? And she's still taking so care of her husband. How many years later? Her, and well, her son, yeah, her son like moved on to get married. But in 1899, at the age of 56, she obtained a law certificate from the New York University. And she's only 56? <laughs> Holy shit. 56. Um, which at that time did not admit women into its law school. Oh, wow. She won a prize for an article entitled, a Woman, I'm sorry, A Wife's Disabilities. Her winning essay was read out loud at the graduation ceremony. In her essay, she advocated for women's suffrage, stating that women should have, quote, the possible rights given to them under the 14th Amendment. She also criticized how married women lacked properly proper I'm sorry, property rights under coverture. I'm having a hard time here. She traveled and lectured and was deeply engaged in various women's organizations, advocating for women's rights throughout her writing and activism. She was regarded as one of the most pioneering figures who paved the way for the women's suffrage movement. She passed away in 1903. Emily Warren Roebling died on February 28, 1903, from stomach cancer. In 2018, the New York New York City renamed a street in Brooklyn in her honor. Oh. Washington, her husband, later remarried <gasps> Miss Cornelia Whitsell Farrow of Charleston, South Carolina. How do you Carolina, even meet her? He can't leave the house. In 1908. Well, he had gotten somewhat better, but he was still suffering. But he went on to get married after she's fucking dead. I'm like, that is should be against the law. He continued to consult on alterations to the Brooklyn Bridge and served as as served on several bridge committees. Washington A. Roebling died on July 21st, 1926. Holy shit, he outlived her by that many that years? That many years, at the age of 89. After all the health issues he had, he he outlived her by you that know, long. You see that a lot, actually, in like retirement communities. Oh, the, the caregiver will die first. Well, that's she's because she's burned out so and exhausted. Out. Yeah. He was buried according to his wishes beside his first wife, Emily, in the cemetery at Cold Springs, New Better York, be. <laughs> across the Hudson River from the West from West Point. In the abstract of her book, Silent Builder, Emily Warren Roebling and the Brooklyn Bridge, Marilyn Weigold states, quote, Emily Warren Roebling's career as a silent builder and organization woman was terminated by death in 1903, but her achievements not the least of which was the Brooklyn Bridge, have endured. The Brooklyn Bridge is still one of the most iconic suspension bridges in the world. Wow. It took 600 workers 14 years to build, and sadly, 27 of those workers, including Emily's father-in-law, died on the job. On average... I wonder how many were injured. 100, 144,000 vehicles travel across it every day, which is even more remarkable when you consider it was engineered and constructed 138 years ago, when the primary vehicle crossing it was just a horse-drawn carriage. That's crazy. And that was from that quote was from the Glinda factor. Can you imagine how thankful people were to have that bridge? Well, so they were two like it was like New York. It was like a they were two separate cities. Yeah, Manhattan, and, and then like instead of Brooklyn being a borough, you know, like they were two separate yeah. cities, and it was a big ferry business. To get across, oh, right? So there's yeah. a lot of ferries back and forth. And so the ferry, there was a lot of protesting about the bridge because the ferries were going to lose right, money, right? Yeah. But there were times, this has cracked me up, when the Brit, when the water, the East River would freeze over. And I feel like there was a there's a good current in that East River. And I don't understand this, but I well, chose not to. Well, it was a lot colder to, back then. I chose not to delve into it very yeah. much. But um, the East River would freeze and you could walk across. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? I bet it doesn't freeze over anymore. I, I would think it doesn't either. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, have to, I, I haven't looked into it, but... I mean, global warming is fake, but... It is fake. It is fake. It's just for those sheep people. Yeah. I mean, I mean I've been across the Brooklyn Bridge many times. When my interesting story, um, 9-11, my cousin's husband worked in the financial district and... When the towers were hit, they sent everybody home. Get out. Get out of the city. Get yeah, out as right. fast as you can. And there was no – none of the trains were operating, especially in the financial district because of all the explosions. Right. Um, and so people were running. And he walked across the Brooklyn Bridge to get home, like to get out of the city, wow. to get out of Manhattan. And, um, Did she like pick him up on the other side or was that, he – I, I think once he got to the other side, he took the railroad home. Because they, oh, they take okay. the train home from the railroad. The well, it's called the Long Island Railroad. Oh, is it? <laughs> so it's like the city, the subway is like all the intricate, like underground in the city. And then once you get out of the city and you like head out into Long Island, it's called the Long Island Railroad. Oh, OK. Yeah. All right. So that's how they. I won't laugh at you then. Yeah. I, I know my shit rose. OK. 
So that is Emily Warren Roebling. Isn't she, she did cool? A good job. That is really cool. That's I just am like another person. Uh wait. Wait a minute. Hold on. Um Mrs. History Teacher? Is there somebody you forgot to teach us about? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. yeah every Warren woman in Roebling. the world. Yes, yes, yes. Bella oh my God. Lockwood. Oh, her too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And 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 yeah, I mean, it's a amazing. every woman that we've covered. Absolutely, amazing. she did the job of a man. C.J. Walker, C.J. Walker, Madam C.J. Walker. I never knew anything about her until oh, you yeah. told that story, yeah, and now did. I see things all the time about her. What do you mean? Like there are like, um, I was just looking at something in Washington D.C. because we were thinking about going there for spring break, and there's like a museum or something that she's. Oh wow. Like featured at, or I don't She's know, but it's probably in the history museum. No, it's something. It's something different. It's like she. It's the, like a building dedicated to her or something. But it's like so. Like and then there's like there were other things that I've seen that about C.J. Walker, and I'm like, how did we never know about her? I told you that the woman I get like my body creams from, like she makes amazing lotions yeah. and oils. And she's, it's a woman, a black woman owned business. So I love giving her my business. And, you know, it's just her small business. Yeah. And um, she started making a hair tonic, like for like hair regrowth. Yeah. And I don't know if it's for white or black women or both. I have no idea. But I bought it and she didn't say it won't work for you. Yeah. I right. Mean, our skin's our skin. Right? Yeah. So it should work for anybody. But um, when she told, when she, posted on her social media she was she had been working on it for like two years and she finally was releasing it i was like easy madam cj walker (laughs) she laughed she was like oh my gosh i wish i was like well she was the first self-made millionaire woman in the country that was one of the stories that i really really loved that you did that but it was so cool though yeah that i'm like how could i never have heard about her i mean she was just like no i'm gonna do this and then she like built a house like nobody did that back then like women period didn't do that back then just build their own house or whatever and she was black and did it which made it 10 times more iconic and it's just crazy yeah i she i i think about her pretty often actually because i have my hair is all falling out so i think about her pretty often about her hair tonics But, yeah, that was a pretty cool story. Yeah, that's really cool. And the other thing is that the men respected her. And I think that says so much about her and how she, like, went about things. Yeah, so the guys, like, all the contractors and stuff on the bridge were, like, they knew that she was, like, running the show. But, like, the politicians and stuff really didn't. Well, I'm sure they did, but they... Nobody, it was all hush-hush. Yeah, but they wanted to... the contractors respected her because she was giving them accurate, like concise information right, yeah. and, and you know it wasn't like she was like giving them information yeah. just like guessing and you know the the um the political people knew what is what you politicians <laughs> that word the yeah. political yeah. people politicians. the politicians knew that she they probably knew she was in charge and it pissed them off and yeah. they're like no this guy who's giving us a lot of money to make sure he can be in charge yeah. should be in charge you know it it was crazy i mean the fact that she just took over and was like boop done but That's... i mean she's obviously a very smart and savvy woman yeah you know because she picked up on all the stuff that you know her husband I, honestly if i was married to somebody who's building a bridge and then he got sick i'd be like uh we're going to have to find somebody to take this over <laughs> That is right, not he'd come home thing. talking about bridge stuff, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, would you shut up?" Yeah, no, exactly, because I'd be like, "I don't understand this at all." <laughs> I mean, I really get into stuff like that sometimes, but I don't. Yeah, I mean, there are but certain was, things that you understand and you can get into, but she was just born with like a. I feel like she was born with like a national, a natural desire, to, right? Like to be like an engineer, be educated, yeah. and, and learn, and like not, yeah. you know, be a like a wallflower, right? So. I think that's I think it's really cool. I think, you know, I mean, women she, women who not only were smart but also had the like capacity to to make people listen to them. Right. was very very unique back then. Yeah. It's even unique now. Yeah, I me? mean, yeah, for sure. I just wonder every time I do another story. We still like haven't this, had a female president. I every time I do a story like this, I think to myself, what would they say about where we are right now? What would they do? Like, if, if you could talk back to any of these women that were, like, in the yeah. suffrage movement, suffragist movement, like, what would what would they say? What would they tell me to do? 
Would they be like, oh, no, you need to do this, this, and this. You need it. Because I don't... I, yeah. I mean, like the fact that, you know, politicians are determining medical decisions. That's, oh, my God. And then, It's so bizarre. And I don't understand, like, these women fought so hard to have these rights for us, but we're backpedaling. And it's... Ins- I don't get it. And then Rockingham County banning 57 books. Yeah, there's a school district near us um, that just banned a bunch of books, LGBTQ plus books. Everything. And And the uh, fact that, like, it's been happening in Florida and Texas and wherever, it's always been like, oh, that really sucks. Like, that's disappointing. I'm not going there and giving them my money. But now that it's so close to home, it's like, oh, my God, what is happening? Rockingham is, is JMU in Rockingham? I don't know. But I mean, Rockingham is so just for people that don't know, Rockingham County is primarily farming. Farmland, right? Yeah. So you've got a lot of chicken farms like Tyson, Purdue, stuff like that. I'm pretty sure those are all in Rockingham. Um, And if if they're not, there's several like big, like big farms. And so those are the people that are. Those are the people that are like Trump supporters. Yeah, Trump doesn't give a fuck. Well, if, and that's like so. Charlottesville they, like, is very liberal, but yeah. then the surrounding areas are very conservative. When you get into the really because rural it's, areas, yeah, right. And and so that's going to happen a lot around here. But the farming, I feel like the big, big like um, commercial farmers are yeah. definitely support Trump because he doesn't he doesn't give a shit if there's restrictions. Oh, right. He doesn't care if there's like. They're being injected or treated poorly. Oh, yeah. he, he doesn't give a shit about he that. He doesn't give a shit about anything. About, he, he cares about like, him making money. No, he cares about like, oh, we're going to make money. So we're going to take these, you know, restrictions away so they can inject the chickens with, you know, something to make them fatter, yeah. um, even though it's going to give people cancer. It's OK. We're just going to do that because they'll make more money, you know, that kind of stuff. And so that's that's why the farmers like support him, a lot of the farmers. And it's sad. But the big the big organic farms don't support him. Yeah. It is. I mean, it is really sad. And it's it's concerning that, you know, it's up this far north that peop- that they're banning books. And I guess it's probably going on on every county. And it's in, it's insane in the states. It's yeah. it's like what is happening? So there was one mom. So the reason um, so I heard it on the morning news on the radio on my way to work and a mom who's very um, outspoken in Rockingham County. Um, asked that the Bible be banned because they banned those 52 books. And she said, if you're banning these 52 books, you need to also ban the Bible. Oh. And um, I don't know. I mean, I doubt it'll happen. But she, you know, was saying that if if it's a freedom to ban books, then it's a freedom to ban the Bible because the Bible is a book. And I don't I agree. agree with it. But, you know, they won't. So Harrisonburg is, I mean, um, JMU is in Harrisonburg. Yeah. But it also... It's also the county seat of the surrounding Rockingham County, which makes a lot of sense. That's where all the chicken farms are, oh, like okay. out there. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of um, uh, Mennonites and stuff like that out there. Yeah, yeah. Christina yeah. used to live next to a, a turkey farm in, when they lived in Stanton. That sounds... It was really stinky. Not super weird. close, but... And yeah. I was so poor in Hawaii that when I moved, when I was staying with her and I, I didn't live with her, but when I was staying with her in Stanton, I thought they were like so rich and it was such a nice place. But it was, <laughs> she's like, like, that was the worst place I've ever lived here. <laughs> it was such a dump. But I thought like they had an upstairs and that to like somebody from Hawaii oh, yeah. is like, yeah. holy shit, you're, you're it's fucking like you rich. you have two houses. This is an amazing place. There's steps inside There's your house. There's a turkey farm. <laughs> oh my God. No, ma'am. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's funny because Rockingham County, I mean, JMU is pretty liberal, but then yeah. you have Rockingham County it surrounds it. And that's exactly, I, I was pretty sure that's where it was. And yeah. it's, it makes a lot of sense because of all the man, big, huge manufacturing farms. Yeah, it's pretty so. sad. Well, you guys, it was really fun. And we'd love to hear from you. We say this every week and then we don't hear from, but just a few people. We'd like to hear from more of you because. We're talking about you. We're talking about right you. Now. Right there. Look at yourself in the mirror. Yep. You. No, 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 no. Not them. You. And you know you've had a a story you wanted us to tell. Yeah. Send us a story. Send it to us. Send us a funny story. I do have a a funny story. Well, even like a a person that you want us to cover. Um, I told you about my friend in Richmond who was, I think I told this last week, who was listening to our podcast and started laughing. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, Yeah. uh, Her also, her daughter 
got in trouble in school for um, they're very liberal. And her daughter got in trouble in school. Hang on. I'm going to tell you this. This is a very funny story. (laughs) She was having breakfast with her daughter and she got real serious. And she was like, I wish people didn't grow old and die. And I said, I wish that, too. And she said, her daughter goes, except for Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) And her daughter's like 10 or something like that. So her teacher, her teacher called her and said, ask me to talk to her about not discussing politics in school. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, when they had their Halloween dress up day, she told people she was going, she was dressed up as a police officer. (laughs) She told people. She was there to take Donald Trump to jail. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so funny. The teacher, the teacher sent her a voicemail with that. And she was like, I wish I saved the voicemail. It was the funniest thing. And then she's like, she and her husband are hysterical. And then she's had to discipline her daughter. And she's like, I don't even want to discipline her. I just have to tell her to yeah. be careful who she says it in front of. But it's, I mean, it's pretty funny. So, you guys, if you love this, we know you did. Reach out to us on our social media at No Ordinary Women Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, and on the X, which we're not really on very often, but at No Ord O R D Women Pod. Send us some stories. Until next week, bye. Bye.